Good morning. This is going to be fun today. At least I'm going to have fun. <laughs> so let's get right into it. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Would you stand with me? It's going to be a little bit longer passage than what we normally read. But you know what? You need to read the Bible. So. <laughs> Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life and the power that are in your word. And Lord, I realize, I acknowledge that in my, that in myself, in my flesh, there is no life. There, there is, there is no way to, to, to even receive truth. And so, Father, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Holy Spirit would breathe upon each person here, would touch each person here. Help us to hear like we've never heard before, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot in this passage, and so there's actually several places that I want to go today. But, but I want to start with this. The very first verse, verse, to rejoice in the Lord is a safeguard for you. Now, you know, I, I've, I've heard rejoice in the Lord all, all my life, and, uh, and it always sounded like a good idea. You know, and rejoice in the Lord because He's worthy, or rejoice in the Lord because He did this, or because He did that, or because this happened, or that happened. But Paul says it's a safeguard. It, it, it protects us. It protects us from, 
from that, the other stuff that we could be doing instead of rejoicing in the Lord. And the other stuff that we could be focusing on. I mean, think about that for a minute. You can't really, you can't really rejoice in the Lord at the same time while you're focusing on some crud. You know, you have to take your eyes off the crud and begin to kind of, well, begin to actually turn it toward the Lord. Paul wrote this letter from prison. Prison. Everybody say prison. Okay, that was, that was cheerful. Uh, how many of you ever been to a prison? Yeah, uh, quite a few of you. You don't have to be in prison. I mean, just go visit a prison. And as soon as you get in, as soon as you walk through the gate, as soon as you get on the ground, you feel that, that oppression. You feel that presence. That's where Paul was. And yet, this is probably his, his, his happiest, most rejoicing letter. He mentions rejoicing five times in this short letter. In fact, over in, over in chapter four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. I'm just going to keep on saying it. Somebody say joy. joy. Okay, you guys are with me. <laughs> always. You know, you, you can rejoice in many things, but there's only one thing that is always reason to rejoice. And that's in the Lord. I mean, even, even other good stuff over in Luke chapter uh, 10, Jesus sent his disciples out and they came back rejoicing. They said, the demons are subject to us. And Jesus said, well, that's a good thing. And, you know, I'm glad you're happy about that. But don't rejoice about that. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Now that's, now that's something that's not ever going to change. And every day you can rejoice. Every day. Um, I was asked, is, is John in here? I, he was asking me earlier, he says, well, you, do you have a life verse? I said, I got a bunch of them. Um, and I do, but this is uh, three of my life verses. It's actually one passage, but it's three verses. It's Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Uh, a lot of you are familiar with it. But do you know what the word lamentation means? Okay, do you know what a lament is? Yes, a lament is, 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 is a sad occasion, a pouring out on a sad occasion. A lamentation is a written lament, is what it is. And the rest of this book, there's five chapters in it, the rest of this book is pretty grim. But right in the middle of it, right in the middle, Jeremiah says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. That's why we still continue to exist, because of the Lord's great love. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. You know, and every single morning, it doesn't matter what happened the day before, it doesn't what happened, matter what happened the night before, every day you get a do-over. And in fact, you don't actually have to wait till sunrise. To get a do-over. And you say, well, now, Pastor, you're being too easy on people. No, I'm not being too easy on people. Realize that you get a do-over. Take it to the Lord and you'll get a do-over. If you keep taking it to the Lord, you say, well, he'll get tired of that. No, but you'll get tired of it. And so you'll stop doing it. Just take it to the Lord. That's, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. And, you know, we tend to focus on the, his mercies are new every morning, his steadfast love. That's great. But look at that last part. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. He's what I want. He, he's what this is all about. He's what I need. And when I, when I say to that, 
I will wait for him and he will come. He will absolutely come. Now, you may be able to rejoice in a great many things, but they will indeed pass away. This you get every day. Now, one other thing before I move off of this joy thing here. Uh, over in John uh, chapter 16, on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he said, things are getting ready to get rough, guys. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. No one can take away your joy. But you can give it away. And a lot of us give it away every single day. We, and I don't mean we give it away in that we spread the joy around. I mean we give it away in that we don't have it anymore. We give it away to the news. We give it away to sports events. We give it away to Facebook. Now, I said, you know, that I, I, I only go on Facebook anymore if somebody points out something to me and says, you need to see this. And most of the time I go, well, I probably don't, but I'll go see if I need to see it. <laughs> These next two weeks, brothers and sisters, are dangerous times. Very dangerous for the body of Christ. Because you're going to be hearing half-truths, also known as lies, full lies, also known as lies. You're going to be hearing stupid things said. You're going to be hearing things designed to fire you up. And just because you heard something stupid doesn't mean that you need to write something stupid. Does anybody catch my drift? Does anybody know where I'm going with this? This last week I had lunch with a group of pastors and then I, and then I also had a meeting with uh, Pastor Howard over at, uh, over at Living Word and, and, and uh, Police Chief Arnold, uh, Pastor Howard wanted to set up a meeting to see how we could maybe uh, help with relations in the community and everything. And in both situations, uh, somehow or another Facebook came up. And it each, and when it did, every pastor went, oh. Look, I like looking at your kids, and, and, and if that's what you were posting, I'll go look at your kids. I like looking at what you eat. I may not want to eat it, but I like looking at it. And, and the thing that, uh, that I find the most useful for it is if I catch a name and I don't have a face to go with it, you know, I can maybe go on there and go, oh, well, that's who that is. You know, unless the only, unless their profile picture is a cat or a flower or something, and then that doesn't help me at all. Okay, I'm not going to put out a call and I'm not going to make a challenge because quite frankly, people don't respond to calls very well and they don't respond to challenges very well. But I will make you a promise. Now, actually, it'd be best if you just didn't watch that stuff. You go, well, I need to know what's going on. That isn't what's really going on. Yeah. 
uh, it'd be bad. I mean, you know, uh, uh, that watch something uplifting like Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> or that's not really uplifting, by the way. That was sarcasm there. Uh, read the rise and fall of the Third Reich if you want to know what's going on. But anyway, uh, and maybe you could do that in the next two weeks. But uh, if you do watch it, I promise you, if you will keep your bad self off Facebook, for your sake and others, two weeks from now, you will be a much happier, joyful, devoted, Christ-focused, Christ-centered person than you've been in a while. You just absolutely... Now, if you don't want to, be, if you don't want to do that, don't do it. You can give your joy away. I'm just making you a promise. Okay, uh, and and as I told you, we're having fun today. I'm I'm having a lot of fun. Now let's let's move over. Uh, Paul also said, "I put no confidence in the flesh. I'm kind of a big deal. No, I'm not." And 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 this this stuff really is not all that big a deal. This from a man who had great reasons for confidence in the flesh. <laughs> he tells us about them. You know, sometimes I go, Paul, what are you thinking? You know, I mean, he, uh, but he, he, he lays out all the reasons why he has confidence in the flesh. But really what he's thinking is, see, Paul had been there. Paul had played that game. He knew what that looked like. He knew what that was all about. And he knew that it was just empty show. We got right down to it. Uh, of the of the religious leaders of the day, of the ones who were in, in the council, the only two that we know of who, who came to Christ were the two who were willing to humble themselves. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea were willing to actually humble themselves and go, you know what, maybe there's something missing in my life and I'm willing to admit it. And maybe this guy actually does have the answers and they went and found out that he actually did. Paul, like Jesus, had his sternest rebuke for those who held outward appearance of higher value than the heart. Jesus said, now you Pharisees, you, uh, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and, and wickedness. And we, you know, we have a tendency to go, yeah, people are like that. What species am I? You know, uh, I mentioned Gail Irwin a few weeks ago, who wrote the Jesus style. He was, um, he was pretty high up in the denomination that he was involved in. And I remember over 30 years ago, him telling me about um, um, a national conference that that denomination had and, and a speaker that came to the conference. And uh, I'm sure that the speaker's topic really warmed the heart of, of all the denominational leaders because his topic was um, uh, seven signs of a dying denomination. And I said, whoa, he said, yeah, they're still talking about that one at headquarters. And I went, well, what were they? He said, well, I don't. I said, there's really only one I, I, I absolutely remember. But the one that he remembered was this. He said, when outward symbols become more important than inward reality. And that doesn't just apply to organizations. It doesn't just apply to to, to denominations, it applies to individuals. It it, it 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 applies to us. See, this is a this is a matter of the outside versus the inside, 
and which one's the most important. I know which one's the easiest. The easiest is the outside. But the more important one is the inside. When, when uh, Samuel went to anoint uh, David king over Israel, he didn't know he was going to anoint David. He just knew he was going to go anoint one of Jesse's sons. And, and Jesse uh, paraded his oldest son, Eliab, by him, and, and Samuel went, whoa, this guy has got to be it. I mean, he's tall, he's handsome, he's, he's talented, he's, uh, he, he's intelligent, he's all that. But God said to him, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at, at the heart. That's, that's what really matters. See, the essential problem is that appearance is, is intimidating, yet it's deceiving. And sometimes we even deceive ourselves. You know, so, sometimes we actually get to the point where we go, you know what? I look like a Christian and I talk like a Christian and I go to church like a Christian and I tithe like a Christian. I'm, well, no, let me back that up because I'm using the wrong word there. You know, I dress like a disciple. I talk like a disciple. I go to church like a disciple. I even tithe like a disciple. I must be a disciple. But my heart is far from him. Yeah, I'm doing those things to pay my dues. I'm doing those things because it looks right, feels right. It's been a while, so some of you may not know who this, this person is. But uh, how many of you know who this guy is? Okay, the name is Bernard Madoff. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Some of you are, are, are too young, really, probably, even though it hadn't been all that long ago. But this guy uh, was the, the biggest thief in the history of the United States. Probably. Uh, they don't even know how much he stole. It was somewhere between 12 and 20 billion, with a B, dollars. And virtually all of it, well, the vast majority of it came from charities. Nice guy, right? And uh, over 15 years before they finally caught him and shut him down, over 15 years, uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was exposed. And in fact, they investigated him four times and they didn't find anything. And do you know why they didn't find anything? They didn't find anything because they didn't look. And they didn't look because when you go into an office with a guy wearing a $12,000 suit and smoking a $200 cigar with all the trappings of power and luxury about him, you immediately tend to think, well, this guy's on the up and up. I mean, he, he certainly couldn't have stolen anything. When you should immediately think, well, of course he stole stuff. That's how you get there, basically. Uh, but that the outward trappings were so intimidating. See, how many of you know that the devil is not red? You know what color he is? white he appears as an angel of light pristine that's that's what he is appearance outside versus the inside when jesus spoke to the woman at the well she was um she was wanting i don't know if she was wanting to argue religion she certainly wanted that yeah, sounded like she wanted to argue uh, when she found out Jesus was a prophet, she said, you know, now our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say we're supposed to worship over here in Jerusalem. Now, which one is it, huh? And, and if, if we had been asked that, if I had been asked that question, 
uh, or anybody who's done a lot of study, I, I would have explained it to the woman. Seriously, I, I would have gone, well, really, uh, Jeroboam the first selected this mountain and, and put an idol there, and but that was hundreds of years ago, and it's just kind of become what you do. God actually chose Jerusalem, so the Jews are actually right in this case. And when I got through explaining it to her, nothing would have changed in her life. She would not have said, I know that Messiah is coming. After Jesus got through explaining it to her, she said, I know that Messiah is coming. But what did he say? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't explain to her. He said, the times, they are a changing, my dear. The true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, not on this mountain. Not on that mountain. It's got nothing to do with the mountain that you're on. It's got nothing to do with the clothes that you wear. It's got nothing to do with your educational level. It's got nothing to do with your socioeconomic class. What it has to do with is spirit and truth. It's got to do with the heart. Some only look a great game. Some only talk a great game. God's looking for people who will live a great game. Have you got game? That's the question you need to ask. And then Paul goes on to say this, as, as we're having fun here. I consider all loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Look, think about that phrase, surpassing worth. What does it surpass? What does it surpass? Everything, yeah. Has Christ's love made any difference in your life? I mean, did you, you remember back at the beginning of uh, chapter 2 of Philippians? As if Christ's love has made any difference in your life? Well, of course it has. It changed everything. Absolutely changed everything in my life. And nothing else can really do that. Knowing Christ is of surpassing worth. I mean, what, what else are you going to compare it with? Uh, riches? Wealth? I mean, I don't know. We don't have any billionaires in here, at least not that I know of. If we do, they're... Heathens who don't tithe. <laughs> but but uh, most all of us, you know, have had a little money in our pockets from time to time. And boy, I mean, did it make you happy? Is it still making you happy? Yeah, it's nice to have, you know, it's nice to have some money. It's nice to be able to, uh, to do some of the things. But, uh, you know, that's... That's, that is, that is, you know what Paul would say? Garbage. Garbage. Well, okay, if it's not money, how about fame? You know, it's nice, it'd be nice to be kind of famous. Famous people get to go places other people don't get to go. Famous people get perks other people don't get. Famous people, uh, uh, well, famous people also have to put up with a lot of stuff. I mean, that's, that's a two-edged sword, but that's something that some people want. You know, just have fame. Paul would say garbage. Absolute garbage. Well, how about comfort? See, you know, we, we know that, that, that riches don't do it for you. And, and we know that fame really isn't all that it's cracked up to be, but boy, do we like our comfort. Oh, my goodness. I used to go to church, but it was too cold in the sanctuary. So I just couldn't go back. You know, I, I used to go, but uh, <clears throat> but it rained four Sundays in a row. And I just got used to this Internet thing, you know. They stream this thing. 
Yeah, that's all I need. You know, I used to go to church, but the, you know, the, the last time I went there, they just didn't make me feel welcome. I got a question. How many times do you have to go to church before it's your job to make other people feel welcome? I, I'm just, I'm just wondering, do we have, do we know what that is? Okay, once. Yeah, that's what I vote for. <laughs> yeah. We like our comfort. You know what Paul would say? Garbage. Garbage. The God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the God of compassion and the God of all comfort. You know, when, when it comes down to crunch time, when things really are going on in our lives, there's no easy chair, there's, there's no right temperature, there's no sunny day that'll fix that. Only the presence and touch of the living God. Garbage. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And, you know, most of us would amen that, but the truth of the matter is, we try to hang on to, we want Christ and. You know, I, I want, I want that stuff and Christ. And it, and it doesn't work that way. I remember being told, <clears throat> Back when I was a kid, I guess probably a missionary was saying this, that, that in India, it was pretty easy to get people to accept Christ. But what they would do is they would then take Christ and put him with all of their other idols, and he'd be one of many. And I thought, oh, oh those poor ignorant people. I mean, seriously, you know, to not know that Christ can't be one of many, you can't, you can't just take him and put him with, with your other gods. But I was too young and too naive to realize that we do the same thing. We want Christ and. We, we want to add Jesus on to our social status. We want to add Jesus on to our intelligence. Add Jesus on to our, uh, to, to, to our talents. Uh, add Jesus on to our good works. You know, I want Jesus and my moldy peanut butter sandwich. I mean, God, God really wants both of those things. And if you don't know that reference, you weren't here that week. And not only that, but when it comes to, to righteousness, the, what we would like to think of is my righteousness plus Christ. Woo! Now that's something that God can really use. No! Now righteousness Righteousness, uh, it means right standing with God, okay? Righteousness doesn't necessarily mean doing good or doing well. It means right standing with God is what it means. And my righteousness cannot be combined with Christ because my righteousness is like filthy rags. Paul's was, and mine is too. My righteousness can't be combined with Christ's because it will dilute it and defile it. The only thing that can make me Hold to stand in God's presence is what comes through faith. To be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I'm not saying that, 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 that we're not supposed to do well. Uh, you know, and we all know that we're supposed to get rid of our bad stuff. But we tend to think, well, God now needs my good stuff as well. God doesn't need any of your stuff. You know, you, uh, the reason why you, my children, my physical, literal children, of which Valerie is one, are not my children because they don't do drugs. They're not my children because they don't play in traffic. 
They're my children for reasons that have nothing really whatsoever to do with anything they've done. Their lives are a lot better off because they don't do drugs and because they don't play in traffic. (laughs) And that's what that's about. That's how that works. I want to know Christ. The power of His rising. All I once held dear, built my life upon, all the world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I've counted loss. Spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. The last phrase. Paul talks about taking hold of that for which God took hold of me. What did God take hold of you for? What did he take hold of you for? Uh, He didn't necessarily take hold of you because he needed you. Wanted you, yes, but needed you, no. You were lost, yeah. He took hold of you. But from his perspective, why did he take hold of you? He took hold of you. So that you would have a new life. New life. Not, hey, let's fix this old one. But no. Something completely new. Something called eternal life. Well, how do you you take hold of that? How do you take hold of this new life? I did something this last week that I don't normally do. And I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Uh, I'm going to read something to you. Uh, But I I was uh, looking at the Message Bible. And I went back and I read Eugene Peterson's introduction to uh to philippians and it just it just it blew me away how do you take hold of this new life now um peterson uses the word happiness here paul uses joy and we know that joy and happiness are two different things but you know let let's let let's let peterson use happiness here and he, he talks about this being the happiest book that paul wrote even though he wrote it from prison he says but happiness is not a word we can understand by looking it up in the dictionary. In fact, none of the qualities of the Christian life can be learned out of a book. None of the qualities of Christian life can be learned out of the book. Now, you can, you can assimilate the facts into your mind, but that's not the same thing as learning something. If you, um, if you want to play baseball and, uh, and you want to, and you want to be a, a good fielder, you want to be an infielder or something, you know. Uh, the facts are these. You need a glove. You need to bend down. You need to actually catch the ball, pick it up, and throw it. Now, everybody knows the facts, so you've got it learned, right? No. To learn it, you've got to do it again and again and again and again and again. And maybe even get with somebody who does it a little better than you. In fact, he says... Something more like apprenticeship is required. Being around someone who out of years of devoted discipline shows us by his or her entire behavior what it is. What it is to follow Christ. What it is to actually have happiness. And and I, I like this phrase. He says, moments of verbal instruction will certainly occur, but mostly... An apprentice acquires skill by daily and intimate association with a master, picking up subtle but absolutely essential things such as timing and rhythm and touch. 
how that happens. Now, the Holy Spirit is available to, to, to mentor all of us. But for some silly reason, he, God decided that the body of Christ might be necessary. That he actually might need to put you with somebody you could see to begin to develop the timing, the rhythm, the touch of what a follower of Christ is. To begin to be able to, 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 to walk that path and experience that life. And he says, forgetting what is behind. Paul said, forgetting what is behind, pressing on toward what is ahead. He's not saying, he's not saying don't remember anything that's ever happened in your life. That's, that's not what he's saying at all. When, when he says, forgetting what is behind, he's saying, forget the old ways of life that dominated you in the world. Because that life was dominated by circumstances. Dominated by prejudices, dominated by, by, by uh, temporal desires, dominated by fears. Those were the things that dominated and motivated that life. That's not the reason God took hold of you. He took hold of you for something, for something new, for something better. And then going back to Peterson, he says, Paul doesn't tell us how we can be happy or how... Or, or that we should be happy. He simply and unmistakably is happy. And none of his circumstances com- contributed to his joy. Circumstances are incidental compared to the life of Jesus the Messiah. Circumstances are incidental compared to the life of Jesus the Messiah. For that is a life that not only happened at a certain point in history, but continues to happen, spilling out into the lives of those who receive him, and then continues to spill out all over the place. Being a true disciple of Jesus Christ is a gloriously messy experience. Christ is, among much else, the revelation that God cannot be contained or hoarded. My Jesus, yes. But if there's not enough of him for it to for it to spell out onto other people, then you don't have much Jesus. Because Jesus is a lot bigger than you are. And if you can contain it all, then you're a little clueless. It is this spilling out quality of Christ's life that accounts for the happiness of Christians. For joy is life in excess. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life in excess. And you can have it or you can give it away. And there's two ways to give it away. You can give it away so that you still got it and others have it as well. Or you can just give it away and nobody's got it. What does lie ahead? What is it that he is pressing on toward? Uh, another life verse here. I'll close with this. This is my, this is one of my favorite verses in all the scripture. For our light, this light, momentary affliction, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison of transcending worth, if you will, surpassing worth. As we look not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal. 